So today's passage is in Psalm 25 that you can find on a Bible, uh, church Bible on page 556. Five, on page 556, five, Psalms 25. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in, the way, in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, through it is great. Who then are those who, are, who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they sh should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will, be, will inherit, inherit the land. The Lord confines in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, or I take, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and upright, uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, o God from all their troubles. Thanks so much, Akira, for that final act of service among us. We really appreciate that. Uh, please keep that passage uh, open in front of you, Psalm 25. And uh, will you join me, please, in uh, praying together? Father, we're told that your word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so, Lord, we ask that by the Holy Spirit this evening, your word will do its work in our hearts and in our lives. Give us, Lord, an encounter with you in your living word. And may we be, Lord, just a little bit transformed this evening into the likeness of Christ. We ask for his glory. Amen. Well, in this little series entitled Songs for the Journey, uh, each preacher has been asked to speak on my favorite psalm, which uh, sounds great in theory until you actually start to think to yourself, hmm, what is my favorite psalm? 
Um, like many of us, I'm sure, I have a number of psalms that I particularly love and cherish. So choosing a favorite is not that easy. Uh, one of my favorites actually is Psalm 119. But I thought with its 176 verses and the fact it takes about 17 minutes just to read the psalm, you probably wouldn't appreciate me tackling that one this evening. So I've landed on Psalm 25, which has actually been precious to me throughout my uh, Christian life um, since 1992. When I was converted, it's probably been um, the psalm that I've read the most, I've meditated on the most, I've listened to the most, and uh, I've prayed through the most. Uh, Why Psalm 25? Well, you'll hear a little bit about that later, but the clue is in tonight's title, the ABC of a shame-free life. ABC, not in uh, meaning above our church in this instance, but in the sense of the basics. Here are the basics of living a shame-free life. But ABC, because also the psalm is actually in the form of an acrostic poem, uh, which simply means that each verse begins with the next letter, of the Hebrew alphabet. Technically, it's a broken acrostic, so it's incomplete, but uh, we won't worry ourselves about that one tonight. Now, we know that being free from shame is David's main concern in the psalm because that word comes four times, and David begins and ends his song, which is a mix between a lament and a psalm of confidence. He begins and ends it with a heartfelt cry to the Lord not to let him be put to shame. So verse 2, if you look, do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. That's his opening prayer. And then look down to verse 20 as he starts to wrap things up. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame. So that's David's great concern. He does not want to be put to shame before his enemies, who, verse 19, are numerous and hate him. Well, let's look at some of the details and draw out together the ABC of a shame-free life. Uh, The NIV layout has eight paragraphs, uh, but you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to do a John Piper tonight and go for eight points. There's a clearer structure, I think, to help focus our thoughts. Because if you look, verses 1 to 7 are a prayer to God. Verses 8 to 15 are more of a reflection on the nature of God, David declaring the goodness of God in song, as we've done this evening. And then from verse 16, having reflected on God's nature in the sandwich filling of the psalm, David then prays again. And David's prayer requests spring from his knowledge of the Lord in the center of the psalm, which, by the way, are always the the best kind of prayer requests, the most powerful and effective requests driven by what God has revealed about himself and his purposes in his word. Or as John puts it in his first letter, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And the one way that I can be absolutely sure that I'm praying according to God's will is by making requests that are rooted in Scripture. So, for example, as Christians, we know, don't we, that from 1 Peter 5.10, that the God we pray to is the God of all grace. So if I pray with David, verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me, I can be 100% confident that I'm asking according to God's will and that he hears me because he reveals to us that he is the God of all grace. So that's the structure we're going to follow. Prayer, reflection on God, more prayer. And the first step to living a shame-free life, verses 1 to 7, is to trust in the Lord who is merciful and forgives sin. Trust in the Lord who is merciful and forgives sin. Notice David begins with this double declaration of trust. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. 
Uh, repetition in Hebrew is a kind of ancient way of underlining something or typing something with the caps lock on. Not normally a good thing to do in emails or WhatsApp messages, but in prayer it's a great thing to do because by declaring to God emphatically, in you I put my trust, yes, I trust in you, what I'm actually doing through prayer is underlining and highlighting in my own heart where my confidence lies. And you know, brothers and sisters, we need to do that often as believers, especially if we find ourselves in the middle of fiery trials or when temptation rages or when we've given into temptation or when we're battling with something, as was shared earlier. I need to remind myself that my trust is not in my personal comfort or happy circumstances, nor is it in my own track record of righteousness and obedience. No, my trust is in the Lord, who, verse 5, is God my saviour, and verse 6 is the God of great mercy and love. We were singing earlier about mercy that cannot be contained. That is our God. Now, we know this saviour God to be Jesus, of course. His name means God saves. And wonderfully, if my trust is in him tonight, I can be confident that he will not let me be put to shame. Not in the ultimate, eternal sense. Because look at the promise of verse 3. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. And just a few words about that word shame. Remember, Bible words have Bible meanings. And the way we often speak of shame today is somewhat different to how Bible writers use the word. So today, people talk about being ashamed. It, it can have that sense of feeling embarrassed or a bit foolish. It can happen in simple social settings, can't it? So I might be in a conversation with a few friends and I have a slip of the tongue and, and they mock me a little bit and, and then I go all embarrassed, go bright red perhaps, and, and feel ashamed. But actually, the Bible meaning of shame is much stronger than that. One Bible dictionary describes shame like this. A painful emotion excited by a consciousness of guilt, disgrace, or dishonor. See, biblical shame is to do with being let down or disappointed by something or someone in whom I have put my trust. Some of our brothers and sisters from other nations will know all about this because you've grown up in what are called shame-honor cultures, where to bring shame to your family is to dishonor the family name. And this is really the sense in which David uses the word in this psalm. Uh, notice verse 2, he links his cry not to be put to shame to his trust in the Lord. He, he does the same in verse 20. Do not let me be put to shame. Why? For because I take refuge in you. I trust in you. I, imagine how terrible a thing it would be for those of us who are Christians, trusting in Jesus for forgiveness of sin, taking refuge in him for all eternity. How shameful it would be if finally he proved unworthy of our trust. If he didn't come through for us didn't keep his promises, didn't get us into heaven. Well, wonderfully, that will never happen. The ESV translates verse 3, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Because the Lord, the promise-keeping, saving, merciful God is primarily concerned for his glory, honor, and reputation, the reputation of his name. So he will not let his children who bear his name be put to shame. I'm trusting in Jesus. I don't need to experience that painful emotion of shame, excited by consciousness of guilt, disgrace, or dishonor. And if I do, I can be sure that it will never be because the Lord is unworthy of my trust or fails to keep his word. 
Now, I will never be disgraced in eternal terms, not if my trust is in Jesus. Oh, I may suffer temporary shame, disgrace, dishonor in this world as I follow Jesus and obey him with all my heart at all costs. I may well be ridiculed, may well be mocked, may well be overlooked, sidelined for promotion, all kinds of things. Just as Jesus was subjected to shame, disgrace, and dishonor in this world for fully obeying his Father. Finally, of course, facing the extreme shame of a brutal execution on a cross. Or I may suffer shame, disgrace, dishonor due to my own failure, weakness, and sinfulness. But when that happens, I can at any point, and from the darkest of places, return to the Lord with all my heart. I can trust in him and take refuge in him afresh, receive mercy and forgiveness, have my conscience cleansed of all guilt, disgrace, and dishonor, get back on that path of righteousness once again, free from shame. And you can do that this evening if you're caught in a sin. You know, it's the main reason I've chosen this as my favorite psalm. Because in my previous life before Christ, I did many things that I would rightly be ashamed of. Never mind the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. Verse 7, even as a believer, I've too often let God down, fallen far short of how he wants me to live. And I know I'm not alone in that this evening. But for all that is past, by the grace of God, I live without shame. I remember once speaking at a church, I think it was over in Northern Ireland, and uh, I was sharing my testimony of how God had rescued me and uh, transformed me and uh, taken away my shame and uh, this lo lovely uh, older lady came up to me at the end beaming with a smile uh, and she said this to me she meant it not as a, in a critical way she said you really have no shame do you you really have no shame no I don't have shame I said because all that I've done that is shameful the punishment for that has been laid on the Lord Jesus in my place and you know the Lord wants to teach all of us to live in that way as believers, in that sense, to be free from shame, full of joy. Because actually that's a very powerful witness to a watching world. And if I am called to suffer shame and disgrace because of my trust in Jesus and my obedience in him, well, he wants me to see that as a cause for joy too, that I'm considered worthy of suffering for the name. Blessed are you, says Jesus, when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven notice in verses six and seven three times david uses this word remember first he asks god to remember something verse six remember lord your great mercy and love then verse seven there's something he wants god not to remember do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways and then end of verse seven he repeats his appeal to god to remember his nature according to your love remember me for you lord are good now what's going on here why does god ask david to remember what he's like that's the essence of his prayer isn't he lord please remember that you are merciful loving good and act accordingly what's that all about i mean is god in serious danger of forgetting what he's like is he a bit like an aging parent who's becoming absent-minded and the children need to remind them of things or like me, increasingly walking into another room at home and then forgetting what I went in for? Yes, it's happening to me already. Well, clearly not. Don't forget, Bible words, Bible meanings. And remember here is not the opposite of forget. 
No, it means something like, Lord, please deliberately consider these wonderful truths about yourself and then determine to act according to who you are in line with your unchanging word. We see it often in the Bible. People pray and ask God to remember his covenant or remember his promises. And God uses the very same language too. He promises to remember his covenant the agreement that he's made with his people. And you know, God delights to answer these remember-type prayers. He loves us to declare truths about him and to remind him of his promises in that sense and then call on him to act accordingly. Because when we do that, the honor of his name is on the line. God's very reputation is at stake. And so if we join with David in praying, verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways, pleading sincerely, not on the basis that I deserve to be forgiven, but rather based on the righteousness of Jesus, his perfect sacrifice, to pay for all my sins, all my rebellion. Well, again, I can be utterly confident that God hears me because I'm praying according to his revealed will. God promises through Jeremiah, for example, I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more doesn't forget our sins, notice. To forget is a negative human attribute. No, God actively determines, because of Jesus' death on the cross, to remember them no more. To remember no more is a positive divine attribute. First step, then, to a shame-free life. Trust in the Lord, who is merciful and forgives sin. Secondly, verses 8 to 15, fear the Lord, who instructs and guides humble sinners. Uh, we're now on to David's musical reflection on God's nature. Uh, I think we could sum it up like this. The Lord is a loving, faithful, promise-keeping God who delights to instruct humble sinners, therefore fear him. Now remember, for the Christian, if you've been here in the mornings listening to Ecclesiastes, to fear God is not to be terrified of his judgment. No, Psalm 130 verse 4, with you there is forgiveness Therefore, you are feared. You see, to fear God as a believer is to take him and his word seriously and to be in awe of him and to revere him because of his goodness and his greatness, his willingness to forgive sins, for example. And then look at the good promise to those who do fear the Lord down in verse 12. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. Uh, this is one of several references in the psalm to God leading and guiding his people. Uh, so back in verse 5, guide me in your truth. Verse 9, he guides the humble in what is right. And so sometimes this psalm is used to teach on the subject of guidance, which in one sense is fine, as long as we understand what kind of guidance David has in mind here. Because the emphasis is not really on what subjects I should choose for GCSE or A-level, which college or university I should go to, whether or not I should apply for this job or who I should marry and so on. It's right, of course, to commit all of those kind of things to the Lord in prayer, to, to humble ourselves and ask for his wisdom and guidance that we'd make good and godly decisions. But that's not really the kind of guidance being promised here. Notice the emphasis is on being guided and instructed in biblical truth and God's ways. Verse 5, guide me in your truth and teach me. Verse 8, he instructs sinners in his ways. Again, verse 9, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. The emphasis is on truth, on what is right, on learning God's ways. That is God's unchanging ways as he's graciously revealed them to us in the Bible. And this really is the key to making good 
biblical decisions, especially if we're making decisions uh, where God's word doesn't give us any specific direction and clear answers. Most of us, we want to make good decisions in life, don't we? Decisions that are life-giving and honoring to God rather than poor, unwise, ungodly decisions that can end up leading us to places of disappointment and shame. Well, the key to making those kinds of wise decisions is to recognize, firstly, that I am a sinner who makes mistakes, who often lets God and others down by my words, thoughts, actions, the things I fail to do or say, sometimes by simply not letting God be God in my life. And then secondly, I need to humble myself and learn to fear the God who forgives sin and delights to lead humble sinners. Because then look at the promises of our loving, faithful, promise-keeping God. Verse 9, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Verse 12, he will instruct them in the ways they should choose. Verse 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him makes his covenant known to them. The promise there is not some secret knowledge that God shares with a select few that the majority are not in on. No, he confides in us, notice, about his covenant, his word. So to all those who humble themselves, God gives growing understanding and insight into the scriptures so that we can then make increasingly those wise, good, godly life decisions. If you prefer it in New Testament terms, Think Romans chapter 12. You could look at those first few verses later on, perhaps. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. There's the self-humbling, surrendering to God, fearing him as holy, longing to please him. Then do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's the being instructed in God's ways. My mind being renewed over time as I saturate it in biblical truth, and allow the truth to gradually transform how I live. Uh, the preacher Charles Spurgeon famously said of John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, prick him anywhere and you will find that his blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his soul is full of the word of God. Wouldn't that be a great thing to have written on your gravestone? At the end of your life, his or her soul, not just your mind, but your soul is full of the word of God. Then writes Paul to Christians in Rome, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There are the wise, good, godly life decisions which are, are not zapped to us from heaven via a super mega fast broadband connection to God. No, we learn to test and approve what God's will is. Another translation puts it like this, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Trust in the Lord who is merciful and forgives sin. Fear the Lord who instructs and guides humble sinners. Then finally and briefly, verses 16 to 22, for a shame-free life, pray to the Lord who delivers his people from trouble. Because, of course, even if we receive mercy from God and forgiveness of sin, even if we manage to live with some consistency a life that pleases him, even if we humble ourselves, learn to tremble at God's word, take it to heart so we make increasingly godly decisions, I can do all that and still face a load of trouble in this life. Some of you are facing that this evening. Jesus promises as much, doesn't he, to his followers? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, he says, for I've overcome the world. We're not told the exact setting of this psalm 
what exactly was going on in David's life as he writes this song. It's, it's left to our imagination. What we do know is he was facing all kinds of troubles and heartaches. Uh, look at what he recounts in verses 16 to 19. Verse 16, is lonely and afflicted. Verse 17, he talks about the troubles of my heart and anguish. Verse 18, there's affliction and distress and sins. Verse 19, see how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Safe to say, I think David is having a pretty bad day. More likely an incredibly difficult few days or weeks or months, maybe even years. And this, remember, with his sins and all his rebellious ways forgiven. This is someone who is humbling himself, receiving instruction from God's word. This is a man after God's own heart, learning to fear God. But still, he faces great trouble. And it's not unique to David because look how he widens out his prayer in verse 20 to all believers. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. This is kind of the normal experience of a believer. And if you can relate to David this evening, whether you're in a little bit of trouble or you're facing multiple trials, difficulties, temptations, enemies, well, the key to avoid being put to shame in the midst of whatever you're facing is to cry out to the Lord, to the one who, although completely free from sin, yet still faced himself great trouble, shame, and temptation as a man, which means he's not unable to sympathize with your and my weaknesses. So call out to the Lord Jesus, who is able to free you from any trouble. Now, he can do that instantly, but in his wisdom, you know, he may make me wait, because there may be things he wants to teach me, Ways in which he wants to confide in me from his word when my heart is more tender and receptive due to the very trials that I'm going through. And of course, for all of us, full deliverance from every trouble won't come until that day when I go to be with the Lord, which is better by far or indeed until he returns. But as we wait for God to rescue us, let's join with David in praying. Verse 20, guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me. That's the integrity and uprightness of the Lord Jesus, of course, not my own. Because my hope, Lord, is in you. You remember in the Gospels, we're told that the Apostle Peter denied Jesus three times in his great hour of need. Can you imagine his shame as the cock crows Luke 22, verse 61, we're told the Lord turned and looked at him. And unsurprisingly, Peter, we're told, went outside and wept bitterly. What shame, letting down his master at that critical moment. But later we learn that Jesus restores him. Peter writes these words in his first letter. I don't know what he had in mind. Maybe it was his own very experience that the Gospels tell us of. But he says this to us, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. 
praise God, a day is coming when everyone who trusts in Jesus will live completely free from all shame, fully restored in the glorious presence of Jesus, unshakably and eternally strong, firm, and steadfast in him. Praise God that we look forward to that day. Let's pray. Let's take a moment of quiet, just an opportunity to make our own personal response in our hearts to God. Perhaps you've come this evening feeling ashamed, feeling shame for the way perhaps you've treated somebody, something specifically you've done, you've said, you've thought, maybe you are caught in a sin this evening and you need to call out to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness and you know if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's take a moment to quietly pray in our hearts. Oh Lord, our gracious and merciful God, do not let us be put to shame for we take refuge in you. In you, Lord Jesus, we trust. Amen.